0: This is episode 25 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is a subject matter expert in persuasive communications, Jeff Tippett. Let's get it
1: started. Just get started.
0: Hey, gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andrako. Thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people from really all across the map um, on anything from starting their own business to venturing out on a new hobby they want to try, or maybe getting in the best shape of their life because they haven't been satisfied with their health or fitness um, for a period of time. The whole point is that you have to take that first step to get over the hump, and then the momentum picks up from there. Um, and really, the goal here is to to motivate and inspire people because everyone needs that. If you're if you're sitting here listening, and you're like, oh, I don't need to be motivated. That's BS. Everyone needs some sort of motivation. They want to be inspired uh, to do things, gra- you know, grander than just kind of sitting around in status quo land. Um, so I'm hoping you guys are going to take a lot of these stories and some insight. And knowledge that you gain from the different guests that I have on here whether it's someone that's been very experienced in their career and had a long journey of success and other that others that are just starting out and going through a lot of those different hurdles but the good thing is you're gonna hear a lot of great insights that you might be able to take on your own particular path and be able to try them and, and test them out and, and give some insight back to say hey you know what, this worked or this didn't or hey you know what at least I tried it and maybe next time I'll know a little bit more so that's really the whole premise of this thing I'm glad you guys are along for the journey glad you're listening on this uh, particular episode Um, you know I did want to say one thing before we jumped in because as I'm recording this it's about a year from the day where I said all right I'm going forward all in I'm definitely doing this I remember I was out in uh, California uh, my cousin's wedding last year and I remember sitting at lunch with my brother and telling him the idea for this podcast and saying, you know, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a year or two and I've kept, you know, kind of stumbling around and haven't done it. Like I'm going full throttle, you know, Charlie's Angels 2 on this thing. And here we are a year later, I'm 25 episodes in. I've already recorded episode 26 as well. Um And now there's this opportunity to say, hey, what can I do beyond this? How can I keep pushing the needle? And I think about all the opportunities um, that I've had to talk with some amazing individuals. I've learned so much, and I hope you guys have learned some good stuff as well. But I also think about the tough times early on, actually in some recent as well, where I, there's a lot of negativity around the podcast. Some people are like, "Oh Brian, why are you doing this? or are you making money at it? or why are you wasting your time?" or they don't understand it. They have no idea of why the hell I'm wasting time doing a a podcast. Um, some haven't asked, which you know is surprising, but you have to look at yourself and say, hey, how can how can I focus on what I want to do?" and keep pushing the needle forward because no one knows everyone thinks that they're you know Nostradamus and know what's going to happen next nobody knows what's going to happen next and there's thousands of stories out there of people that have started something they've went on a different path and all of a sudden that led to something totally different that they never would have expected Uh, we talk about that with uh, Jeff Tippett here in the episode today but my encouragement i guess to everyone is maybe use you know my story uh, as some motivation that hey you know what if you're sitting there and there's some things you've wanted to do and you haven't done them yet just take that first step and go do it maybe do it today and and just see what happens right you don't fail you learn as the quote goes so there's nothing really bad that could happen out of it um I just make that encouragement for everyone so i think it makes you more fulfilled in life it makes you happier that you tried some things and there's not regret there and ultimately listen there's always going to be negativity there's always going to be people that um that don't approve or don't agree but you know i I use the quote that i saw recently where you know don't judge a book by the chapter that you walked in on and that's kind of how I take the perspective when if people are saying stuff to me they're coming in a different point in my life that they don't understand they don't understand what I've been through or where I want to go and that's okay so I have some empathy for them um, kind of understanding their situation where they might be coming from and, um, and, and you know I just kind of let it let it pass so anyways I wanted to mention that um, Prior to jumping in here, got a got a really cool episode with Jeff Tippett. He's actually he lives in the area here with me um, in the Carolinas. Um, he's a uh, really a subject matter expert in persuasive communication. Um, you can find him online at Jeff Tippett um, on Instagram and the like. Uh, JeffTippett.com is his website. Um, his last name is spelled T-I-P-P-E-T-T. But go check him out. Um, he's an author. Um, he's a professional speaker. He works a lot of uh, corporations and organizations on, you know, persuasive techniques and and those type of things. So he's got a really cool story, very interesting path in his career. So I'm excited for you guys to listen through and look forward to hearing any feedback that you have. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode today and my chat with Jeff Tippett. Let's get it started. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Hey, Brian. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it yeah this is awesome to get a chance to uh, chat with you a little bit about your journey and and some of the things that you're doing now but also we're doing um and kind of how that led to today and that's kind of where I wanted to get started you know I, I talk with a lot of the a uh, lot of the great guests I've had a chance to speak with around you know that nature versus nurture argument you know how did how did their upbringing shape what they're doing today and I'm curious for you and kind of take this on whatever tangent you want but you know starting back i guess as you were growing up and getting into ecu and those type of things did you ever imagine you would be doing what you were doing today was that just a complete curveball several years back like or did you think back in the day like you know i wanted to be an author i want to be a speaker i'm just kind of curious about that let's start there and then we'll kind of go on a few a uh, few different tangents
1: uh that's a great way to start um, i am not at all living what i thought my life was would be like um at this stage um I think what I have found over time is that my dream just kept expanding and my realization kept expanding um, as to what life could be for me. I had a very small dream early in life, and um, you know I grew up with a father who was a very strong disciplinarian and um, who had this incredible work ethic. So um, while I lost a lot of my childhood to working and things of that nature, I am grateful for what he instilled in me as a, as a kid. Um, As far as like the drive and and the passion, Um, so I think that helped me get to where I am today. Um, So I'm grateful for that. But no, this in fact my undergraduate degree is in music. I'm a classically trained pianist, and then I have a minor in English, and then my master's degree is in English uh, as well. So I I thought I was going to be something in the music space, maybe um, teaching. I taught English for a while. I even considered going and getting a PhD uh, to become a tenured professor, Um, but Decided against that. Stayed in the music field for a while until I left to enter the business world.
0: When there's a there's a couple things that are interesting. I'm curious from a, from a penis standpoint. When did did you start that from an early age? Like, were you a constant like five times a week training for it? Like, tell us about that because I'm I'm assuming some of those things you learn there are helping you in what you're doing now in terms of that work ethic
1: yeah you know the discipline that it takes to to be a concert pianist uh, is incredible so as a kid uh, i was six years old it was the christmas uh, of when i was six years old when i received my first piano Um, and i vividly remember walking into uh, the the former living room which is an area we really didn't use very much but the special christmas candy was there so i kind of snuck in to take a to, to go in and grab a little bit of christmas candy and I looked up and I saw a piano in the formal living room there. And I came out like true to my personality. I came out screaming, there's a piano in there. There's a piano in there. And for the next half hour, my parents did everything they could um, dissuade me that I was wrong and that there was actually not a piano um, in there. But I knew what I saw. So at age um, seven, then I started piano lessons and. Um, my, As I mentioned earlier, my father was a very strong disciplinarian, um, and you know I was required during the regular school years to practice at least an hour a day on, on piano. And then the summers, uh, my father required me to practice four to five hours a day uh, on the piano. So I spent a lot of time sitting and rehearsing. Uh, it helped me a lot. In college, you know, we, we go through the same thing when you're in a school of music. So you spend two hours a day on your primary instrument. You spend an hour a day on your minor instrument. Um, And then if you are in education, you also spend on uh, orchestral instruments as well, learning those. So, you know, while a lot of people were out playing and having fun, uh, I spent most of my time as an undergraduate in that practice room. But there was a lot of discipline that I learned that has transcended to today. And I credit to if I have success, I credit a lot to what I learned um, as far as sticking to things and being disciplined and you know, having concerts and things of that nature, when I had to be on stage, when I had to perform and I had to get over the nervousness, I had to do what it took to make it through.
0: Well, that's, that's actually what I was going to ask is, you know, standing up and, and you do, you know, you've done hundreds of, you know, speaking engagements. Uh, it seems like i imagine that just didn't come, you know, just randomly. Like I didn't know if you were in debate team or that you were an extrovert in, in high school or anything like that, but it seems like maybe the being a concert penis was the, the stepping stone, I guess, to get comfortable on stage. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. And it doesn't mean that I wasn't extremely nervous as a kid. I was. Um, but it, it was just like, it's this dual thing of, I was extremely nervous to get up there. But then when I was on stage, like I was eating it up. I love being up there. I love performing. I love seeing the faces. I love uh, seeing the lights, so and it, you know it's not much difference when I speak today um, in front of crowds it's it's very similar. you know before I go on, um, I am always nervous. I always have that nervous energy that I try to channel into to making me alert and making me pay attention to what I'm talking about and also alert to the audience as well and, and their needs.
0: Is there is there one? I'm I'm just more curious because um, we all had those odd jobs growing up and did different stuff. Is there one job you remember that was either really fun or, again, you learned a lot? You know, I I tell this story as an example, is like, you know, as being in sales. Um, I don't have trouble at all talking with potential partners about, you know, budgets and money and those type of things. And I always relate it back to when I was a paper carrier. I used to have to talk with people that didn't have a lot of money about how they're going to pay for their paper and if the price went up and stuff like that. And I always I kind of transition that like, hey, that may be the reason why I'm in. Do you have any story like that? Is there anything in particular that you remember back from those days as you talk about doing a lot of work and um, the work ethic you learned from your dad or anything of that nature?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the very first like paying job outside of being an entrepreneur. So, like, prior to getting my first job, uh, I will say that um, I was like this little young entrepreneur. So, I would go knock on neighbors' doors and I would get gigs to rake yards and mow yards, and then I would hire my friends to do them. Um, But, probably one of the the best lessons I learned extremely early on in life uh, one of the things I wanted as a teenager was to be a DJ. You know, as part of my love of music, it's speaking as well. It's kind of combining all that. I love the idea of being a DJ. Um, And I was too young to do it. I did get my license as soon as I could. It was this big dream. And my father helped me understand a different pathway to becoming a DJ. And he saw a radio station, an ad, where they were looking for someone to come in in the evenings and clean the radio station. And so my dad suggested to me that I fill out an application, go in and talk with the general manager of the radio station and offer to be the person to clean the radio station. So I I did that. And what happened was I built a a reputation, I built some rapport with the staff and with the other DJs as well. They began to like me. I continued to hone my skills and then, you know, as you could imagine, like a DJ calls out and I get to fill in on a, or a midnight shift when nobody's paying attention anyways. And then over time, it turned into a part-time gig for me. But he did teach me and did show me that sometimes it's a very unusual path that you can use. But if you'll just take that next step, it could open the doors to where you want to be.
0: That's, that's really interesting. That's actually a good transition of what I was going to get into because that – You know, that unusual path comes up a lot in these discussions around, because as you mentioned, it wasn't, you know, what you're doing today, you never would have thought of you'd be doing before. Um, I don't want to breeze past, you know, some of the stuff you did at East Carolina and kind of early career, but we can always go back there. But I am curious because at least from some of the research that I was doing and, and set me straight if I'm wrong, but it seemed like, you know, you were kind of on that normal trajectory that most people are on of, hey, you know, you got a good job and you're moving up the ranks. And then you kind of made that shift to branch out on your own. I'm curious to talk about that time a little bit, um, the struggles you went through, maybe it was that self-talk that you went through and we can dive into that a little bit deeper.
1: Sure, absolutely. So uh, this is one of those slightly embarrassing stories but also extremely positive stories as well. Uh, I had uh, launched a nonprofit, so I had a little bit of background in in launching something. And when I was in existing companies, um, I was always the the entrepreneur. I was always starting something new within companies. So, you know, I I lived that out. But I reached a point when I, I was at a firm, a PR marketing and advertising firm, and I really wanted to launch out and specialize in political work. And so I started filing the the necessary paperwork with the state. I worked with my attorney. I got everything filed. I even went to the point of building a website. And this is my dream website of, like, when I launch out on my own, this is what I want to do. This is exactly what I want to be. I had done research. I knew there was a gap in this space. I had been interviewing other firms and and principals at other firms to get their take on everything and seek out guidance and all of that. And I had everything set ready to go. But I couldn't pull the trigger until finally one day the owner of the company somehow found that I had registered the company with the state of North Carolina. And so he called me in and he said, Jeff, it's pretty clear here that you've got some other things that you're thinking of and working on and you've got a choice here. And your choice is to forget all that and stay on with me. And let's continue to do this work over here or I need you to walk away and go do your own thing. And it was at that moment where I had the internal fortitude. I had the guts to just go ahead and say, yeah, you're right. And I think I'm ready for this step. So I appreciate the time here, but it's time to go on. It's time to do my own thing. So it didn't come just naturally to me. It didn't come necessarily by a personal choice. It came by someone helping me to make that choice. But regardless, that's how it happened. And that's how I launched out on my own.
0: What was the uh, the support system around you at that time? Was that kind of yourself? Because you had to make the choice, do I want to go on my own or do I want to stay with the company? Did you have a, a good support system around you that you, know, you can, or maybe some mentors that you talk with? Was there certain advice you got um, about that particular choice that you were making at that time?
1: There was. I interviewed probably 10 to 12 principals of, of people that were in similar fields, not exactly, but similar fields. Um, And I also had a great relationship with my attorney um, who specialized in startups and startup law, working with startup companies. So he had seen just hundreds of these companies um, and had such faith for me in all of this that he helped to muster up the faith inside of me. Um, And then he put me on to a CPA that was helpful up front as well to understand how to structure things and how to get things moving um, and I had, you know, like a lot of people, I had built up a savings account. You know, I did have a little, little bit of savings there to make sure I was okay uh, launching out. However, I feel very fortunate in that I launched the company, and in each phase that we've gone through, um, we were able to build up enough capital within to go to the next step without ever having to go into uh, my savings account. And have been profitable since day one.
0: Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty cool and, and i'm actually curious to get your take on that because you know obviously every fo- everybody that starts their own business some are successful some aren't and even the ones that are or not there's different you know phases of, of where they go through so i'm curious that was a long-winded way to say how did you get successful was it and obviously i'm assume, i'm assuming some of the work ethic and those type of things but like how did you get out there to get noticed or get meetings with the right people are there certain um, things that you filed, some tried-and-true methods that helped you you know, propel the business into the right uh, the right uh, trajectory?
1: Well, I had been very active. So first of all, I wasn't starting from ground zero. I had been very active in the community uh, with the, the Chamber of Commerce. I served on almost every committee in the Chamber of Commerce. I served on the Board of Directors. I served on several nonprofits um, over the years. Um, I had built, I'd gone to a lot of network events. I had built a solid network of people around me and potential clients. Um, but you know, I, I did launch at the wrong time. I launched in October, uh, 2014, which was an election year, November election year, which is the wrong time to, to launch a company that wants to work in politics. However, um, I was fortunate in that when, once I put my shingle out, sent a few emails out, hey, this is what I'm doing. Um, the first week I signed a half dozen clients and it kind of gave me um, the, the strength, the internal mental strength to say, hey, you know, I mean, this far, I got here to the beginning. I got some clients. I, I did have self-doubt. I mean, I was wondering, is this just a fluke? Is this going away? What's going to happen? And I think the real thing that, that made me feel solid was within the first quarter of, of being in business, I signed my first international client, um, which is this little teeny tiny company out of California that a few people have heard of. It's called Airbnb. And uh, signing Airbnb to do their public affairs work in North Carolina really just gave me solid footing that, hey, you know, I'm here. um, People respect my work uh, and help open up other doors as well. In fact, uh, I was working on that side of of the argument. um, And when that contract ended, the hospitality industry, the other side of of that uh, um, equation, which we had been on opposite sides a lot of these issues came to me and said jeff we love the work that you did for airbnb it was so creative it was fun you captured attention you were extremely respectful to us and you always try to find consensus and find ways that we could all win and we appreciate that we appreciate that you respected us hey look we got this big contract would you like to take this on and help us
0: yeah that was neat when i was first doing some research on this i saw you know i had chip conley on who was the head of a. Uh global hospitality for Airbnb a few episodes ago. So it was kind of cool when I saw that you were doing some work for them, there was a nice tie in there. Um, What are some of the different work you're doing for a lot of these organizations or even some of the political figures and the like? And I wanna get into some of the persuasion stuff, but is there certain things you can just share with the audience that you're doing um, at a high level?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. As I said, I started on the political side of things, but um, early on to this, within the six, for six and nine months, I saw that for me, I did not want to stay on the political side of things. Um, it is extremely dark. It is extremely dirty. It is a rough area to be in, um, and I am much more by nature. I am much more of a positive, much more happy uh, type of person, so I brought in a business partner who was amazing uh, in in the political space, already had some clients. So we partnered together with an understanding that he would run the the political side of things and I would run the public affairs side of things. So in the political, we've got several congressional races we're running right now, House, Senate um, seats as well. So that side's running on the public affairs side of things. And for us, this is always defined differently for different groups for us in, in public affairs. It means that I work with the, the lobbyists, I work with the elected officials, I work with the media, and I work with the general public to move policy prescriptions forward or to stop them uh, on behalf of our clients. Probably one fun one uh, that I can tell you about that we recently did that uh, was just great, it, it was brought a lot of energy, um, was a campaign that we ran for the National Restaurant Association um, based out of Washington, D.C., Um, They hired us to work in conjunction with uh, the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association um, to help them on a bill that was filed. Uh, The the bill was filed that would move Sunday alcohol sales across the entire state of North Carolina from noon to 10 a.m. And when the bill was first filed, uh, the the clients really just wanted to get a conversation started. They they weren't expecting a lot to move forward from it that session. Um, But the bill got some traction and started getting noticed. Um, and so they they called me in. We ended up having like like a week to pull together this pop up campaign um, that we named Free the Mimosa, and we built out uh, this massive campaign that we ran for about six and a half weeks. Um, and at the end of it, we did exactly what the client would hope for. We were able to pull together enough grassroots support to to reach out to legislators at the appropriate time in committees or as they were going off floor votes um, that helped us get enough votes that we, we, we moved alcohol sales from noon to 10 a.m. The governor signed it. Um, and then following that, municipalities began to opt in. But it was, a, it was a very, it was a fun campaign. We caught a lot of attention. We had so much media attention on that. Um, I've traveled all over the country to speak on that campaign, to tell people you know how we did it and, and the components of that.
0: Yeah, and can can you go a little deeper? Because I know, especially on the the persuasion standpoint, right? Sometimes, and I guess it depends who you talk to, right? Sometimes there can be a negative connotation around persuasion, like people think you're tricking. I, I don't I don't feel that way. Um, so I'm curious if you can kind of set the record straight on persuasion and really the effectiveness and importance of it, um, really in everyday life. Of again, whether you're dealing from a political standpoint or business or whatever it may be, and that's a good starting ground. To a couple other things I had.
1: Great. I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, And I will tell you that you are with the majority of people. When I speak on persuasion, this is the number one question, the number one pushback that I get to persuasion. And here's the reason. Most people think that manipulation and persuasion are the very same thing. And it's not their fault. Oftentimes, we've gone to sales training. We've gone to different, different ways of, of, of learning how to what we think is persuading when actually we're manipulating. And we're learning a key, few key phrases that we can say to make people do what we want them to do. So when I speak from stage or if I'm doing a, a seminar with a group of people early on in the talk, I like to spend some time breaking these two apart and really help people understand the difference of manipulation versus persuasion. So manipulation is this, is defined this way. It means to control or to influence a person or a situation care, uh, cleverly, unfairly, unfairly, or unscrupulously. So what are we talking about here? We are talking about making somebody do something that they don't want to do for your good, for your own good. And no, when we look at that, that's horrible. You know, I look at that and think, yikes, you know, who would want to do something like that? Sometimes though, we find it a little bit easier uh, to manipulate. Uh, we, we, we know key phrases, we can put the pressure on, uh, if you will. And the thing is though, especially when it comes to sales, the people that are in sales, or if you're an entrepreneur building a company, you can manipulate and you can get some short-term results, but you will not get long-term results through manipulation and we've all been on those phone calls where we'll just give them our credit card just to get off the call and to hang up. And we know that customer acquisition is one of the biggest costs that a company has. So you know, as I'm working with sales teams, I encourage them, you know, manipulation is it's easy. You can do it. It's the wrong thing to do because you'll get a one-off customer, but you won't get something long-term. You won't get a long-term person. So let's contrast that with the other side. Of persuasion. Persuasion means this, it means to cause someone to do something through reasoning or argument. And the word here, argument, doesn't mean like what we see in political discourse today. The word here, argument, means to talk through different sides, to different perspectives of what you want versus what the other person wants. And then through persuasion, then we, we cause them, through sustained effort, to come over to they are thinking and they are believing the same thing that we are. That we have persuaded them, we have given them sound reasoning, and we're all on the same page. And I look for two magical words to help me understand that when I finish a contract, when I finish a deal, or whatever it happens to be, I listen for two words that are clear indicators if I have manipulated or if I have persuaded. And when I finish talking with a person, when we get to the point that, look, we know where we're going, we know where we're headed, and they look at me and they say, hey, Jeff, that's right. When they say that's right, those are the two magical words to me that says we're at the same place, and I'm at the point here where I understand what they want, what, what they're after. I know what I have. I have found a way that they get what they want, how I get what I want, and we move together forward, and when they say that's right, Jeff,
0: I know we're there. And and as you're talking about communication, is definitely that's a longer play of actually being a better communicator and those type of things. But are there any um, maybe it's characteristics that you see of the best you know persuaders or communicators, or are there one or two things that people that are listening could think about in their maybe in their own life to say hey, maybe you're doing it one way, but you should think about it doing another. Just curious your thought on that.
1: Yeah, so I, I think this all begins with your actual message. And what it is that you're saying to other people, and especially in my field, like when I'm working with policy prescriptions, um, there is nothing simple about the things that we talk about. They are extremely complicated. And with a lot of things that we do, they're, they're extremely complicated. And sometimes we have like all of this messaging out there. And it happens on landing pages, it happens on websites, it happens in emails, it happens in phone conversations, we have all this stuff out there, and it becomes extremely confusing to users. So when I'm working with clients and when I'm speaking, I, I like to start with the messaging and helping to figure out how do we craft a very simple message. Albert Einstein said it this way, he said, if you can't explain something simply, you don't, ha- you don't know enough about it. So working in messaging, like what is it that we're saying? What is it that we're asking of people? And how do we distill that down? How do we create a very simple message for them? And then how do we capture their attention today? You know, capturing users' attention is extremely difficult. We are bombarded by messaging constantly. So what can you do? How can you be clever? How can you be creative? How can you capture their attention? And you know, how do you make their message sticky? So that even after your phone call or after your visit, your time with them, it's still ringing in their head. You know, and they're still thinking through that. But probably one of the biggest ways I would advocate here is making sure that we are helping others find their win. And that's where we find our win. Zig Ziglar said it this way. He said, you'll get everything in life that you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. I think sometimes we we hear that and we kind of still turn that into manipulation, which says, you know what, if I'm going to get what I want, I have to help you. So I'm going to pretend to care and I'm going to help you. Because actually what I'm after is, is what I want. But there's a really secret sauce here when you kind of toss all that out and you look at the person that you're working with you that you're trying to persuade, if it's in sales or you know, if, you're, if you're out there pitching for funding, and you try to understand what is it exactly that they want. And if you can find that alignment, that place of what they want and what you want, that to me is that secret place, that's that magic sauce that helps persuasion move extremely quickly.
0: Well, from a from a knowledge gain trans uh, opportunity, I guess for folks listening, where do you one? Where do you learn? Um, where do you find new information? Is it podcasts? Is it books you read, um, or otherwise? And and maybe what, what's your you know your last six or eight months? Like, what's maybe the best book you've read or podcast that you started listening to? It Doesn't have to just be educational as well. It could be something that's entertainment or for fun that gets you kind of you know away from everything. Just kind of curious where where your mind goes.
1: So I, I do read a lot. Um, I'm re- right now I'm reading a book from actually my coach. Uh, her name is Jane Atkinson. It's called The Epic Keynote. Uh, and then she talks about how you build this, the magical keynote that keeps them, the checks flowing. But if there's one tip that I would, would offer, um, and this is like outside of any single individual book or in, in the individual podcast right now, I think one of the things that I would, would say is like my number one resource right now is an app called Blinkist. B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, and the reason I love Blinkist, um, it is kind of like Cliff Notes when I was in high school and didn't want to read the whole book. Uh, they prepare Cliff Notes, and in 15 minutes, while driving or exercising or whatever I'm doing, I can listen to highlights from an entire book. And so when I'm traveling uh, around, even just around town or whatever, you know, every day I can get four to five books into my schedule by listening uh, to books on this app. And it helps me you know, get basic content. Sometimes I listen and then I think, you know what? I really want to delve into that whole book. So I'll, I'll order the book um, and get it. But this helps to keep me like flowing in tons of information, keeps my brain processing, and then helps me determine again if it's something that I want to go into more or do I get just what I need out of that, that particular blink.
0: It, it, I know. I'm actually curious. That, that's really, that's a good note there. Um, you know, a note I had written down here, I almost forgot to mention, but I'm kind of curious is because you're you're going through this process right now because you're, you're writing your uh, your second book. Um, where are you at in that point? Because I'm, I'm more curious for folks that are maybe thinking about writing a book or have thought about in the past or whatever. What are some of the daily habits or routines you have that you're going through in this kind of this path of writing the book? Are, are you still writing or is it an editing phase? Where are you at at that point? A
1: great question. And to start with, let me say this. If anyone is thinking about writing a book, if there's something inside of you that says you might want to do this, I encourage you to do it, uh, figure it out. Um, And my second book is a lot different from the first one. Um, This one, you know, I started out like pumped, like so ready to get this thing going. And I pushed through. I'm at the stage now where um, we're actually working with my writer. I'm also working with my editor and my publisher. And we're kind of like in this hodgepodge mode right now. They're reviewing and and working on um, the first half of my book right now. And I am currently myself writing the final of what we think is the final chapter of my book. And I'm kind of in that phase right now where I just want it done. I want it to be finished. I want it to be over with. I'm very happy, though, that that the content that I'm sharing on podcasts and sharing from the stage, that the content's really resonating with people. And what I found is what I had planned and what I had hoped was that I have a very specialized message. I speak on persuasive communication. So it's not just communication. My specialty is in persuasive communications. How do you move audiences? But at the same time, my audiences are extremely broad. I recently spoke, for example, for the North Carolina Nurses Association, and a lot of that was helping them with bedside manner and how they work with patients. So it applied that way. I have an upcoming podcast with a female therapist who works with men to help them in their sexual relationships with women. So that has gone, is, is getting ready to happen. I recently did a, a session with Home Builders Association, uh, where they are working with selling uh, new homes. So, the content is like gone all over the place, different audiences, um, but it's extremely specialized. So, for me, you know, I have to set aside like dedicated time to write. So, sometimes I'll go away, I go out of town for two or three days with the, the goal of just getting chapters um, done. Other times, if I can't fully get away, I will set aside like a full day, knock out what I need to knock out. And it also helps that I have people on the team that are waiting for content from me. So it does keep me motivated to, to keep things moving.
0: What's kind of next on your plate? So you talk about the book, obviously, working on. What are some other things you're excited about over the next, you know, half a year or something like that coming uh, coming in the future?
1: Um, I am Continuing on with my speaking business, that has been a, a great, um, it's been a love of mine. I love being on stage. I love seeing light bulbs go off. I love people walking out and saying, Jeff, you've, you've helped me. I, I see my life changing. I, I see my career changing. Those things wake me up. They fill me full of energy. So I'm continuing that path. But new coming up for me, uh, I have a real desire and a real passion to help business owners to help entrepreneurs, to help community activists that have solid messages that would like to land on stage. And for some, it may just be for lead generation as you set yourself up to be the industry expert And you put yourself up as the authority and then others come in to see you and you you speak from that place of authority, which helps persuasion. It's like, you know, uh, this magical leap that helps people come over to you quickly. So I'm looking at an online program where I can help business leaders, entrepreneurs, these activists really understand, like, how do you develop your message? How do you define your audience? What are the assets that you need to build, like with your website, with your sizzle reel, with demo reels? Um, Who's your target audience? How do you find them? How do you message them? What types of technology can you use to to make that happen? What type of contracts do you need? And then wrap up with with working with a lot of connections to help them with podcasters, to help them with speakers bureaus, to help them with associations, um, and to, to move them from thinking, hey, I'd like to be on stage. You can help grow my business to landing those gigs.
0: That's pretty neat. Sounds like a, a plate full of stuff that you get on your uh, on your radar there. Where uh, where can everyone find you online or connect with you?
1: Uh, a couple of ways. First of all, my website is jefftippett.com, um, J-E-F-F-T-I-P-P-E-T-T.com. Um, you find all the information about me there. And you can also text pers- the word persuade to 66866. And you'll instantly receive back a, a free chapter from my upcoming book. And it's another great way to connect with me.
0: Jeff, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast and uh, hearing your journey a little bit and some of the story there, really unique and uh, and different. But again, that makes what you you, uh, which is kind of cool. So uh, thanks for taking some time out of your day to uh, to join and uh, share your story.
1: Hey, Brian, thank you for the opportunity. I've had a great time. I appreciate it.
0: Well, thanks again for everyone for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And as always, um, if you want to find me online, uh, check out my website, uh, com. That's B-R-I-A-N. O-N-D-R-A-K-O dot Also on Instagram and Twitter, at Brian Ondrako. Find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, hope to connect with you guys. Um, any questions you have, feedback, please let me know. If you do get a chance and have been enjoying the uh, episodes, um, certainly would love if you left a review on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you listen on. And Hope to get a chance to connect with you guys further down the road. Have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll see you soon. Take care.
1: I did it.